We all know we should be giving people direct feedback, but can you do it in a way that demonstrates genuine care and concern for the other person? Today's guest says yes and is ready to show us how. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 302. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. And I'm really glad that you joined us for today's conversation because uh, today I'm so pleased to have an expert with us that is uh, really going to help us to frame how to show up as our whole selves in the workplace. And so many of us have learned uh, either intentionally or unintentionally as we entered the professional workspace that we need to leave ourselves at the door a little bit. And uh, unfortunately, that doesn't tend to serve us as well as it probably could if we showed up with our whole selves. And yet, a lot of times we don't know the practical framework in order to do that. And that's why I'm really glad to welcome today's guest today because she's really an expert in helping leaders to embrace radical candor. And she is the co-founder of Candor Inc. And my guest today's name is Kim Scott. She has been an advisor at Dropbox, Kerbo, Qualtrics, Real Good App, Rolltape, Shipe, Twitter, and several other Silicon Valley companies. She was a member of the faculty at Apple University and before that led AdSense, YouTube, and DoubleClick Online Sales and Operations at Google. She's also been a senior policy advisor at the FCC, managed a pediatric clinic in Kosovo, and started a diamond cutting factory in Moscow. And she's the author of three novels and now also the author of the new book, Radical Candor. Be a kick-ass boss without losing your humanity. Kim, what a career you've had. I'm so glad to meet you. Uh, well, it's great to be on the show. And uh, yeah, I've done a lot of different things and had some good luck and, and had some, some bad luck as well along the way. Well, let's start with something that at first glance may not have a lot to do with the professional work. And with all of the things you've done and all these amazing experiences you had, here, here I'm going to ask you a question about going for a walk with your dog. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, but you feature it in the story. And I actually think this is really just a perfect starting point for our conversation. Tell us about the walk you were on. Yeah. So I was I had started a software company called Juice, and I was really struggling with my leadership style. I, I one day got this email from a bunch of different people at the company, like 10 different people sent me the same article about how people would rather have a boss who's a total jerk uh, than, than one who's really nice but incompetent. And I thought, are they sending me this because I'm a boss or because I'm a, I mean, because I'm a jerk or because I'm incompetent, you know, <laughs> neither uh. one of those seemed so good. And, and a, a stranger on the street who I met while walking my dog resolved the problem for me, real, helping me realize that I didn't have to be either one. So I'm walking along and with my puppy, a golden retriever puppy named Belvedere. And I adored Belvedere. And because I adored her, I never said a cross word to her. And she was completely untrained and out of control. So we're walking along. She jumps in the street. I pull her out of the way of an oncoming cab in the nick of time. And this man on the street, a perfect stranger, looks at me 
And he says to me, I can see you really love that dog. And then he looks at me again and he says, but you're going to kill that dog if you don't teach it to sit. And then he points to the ground with this sort of harsh movement. And he says, sit. And the dog sat. I was astounded. I didn't even know the dog knew what that meant. Mm. And, and he, I look at him in amazement and he looks back at me and he says, it's not mean, it's clear. And the light changed and he walked off, leaving me with words to live by. <laughs> words that changed my management style really forever. It's not mean, it's clear. And I realized that the man did two things in that simple little interaction with me. First, he showed he cared at a personal level. And it wasn't, it didn't mean that he had to know my birthday or my the members of my family's names or anything like that. All he had to do to show he cared at a personal level was to say, I can see you really love that dog. But then he didn't let his concern for hurting my feelings or whatever prevent him from warning me that I was about to make a big mistake with this dog that I loved and telling me I, I was going to kill the dog if I didn't teach it to sit. And so it really stuck with me that this ability of, of a leader to be able to, or, or a peer, frankly, or your employee, uh, it's not a hierarchical thing, up, down, or, and, and sideways, but the ability of somebody to show you that they care about you as a human being, at the same time, they're willing to challenge some kind of mistake you're making, or maybe to challenge good work to be even better. And that is really the essence of the model you've presented in your book, Radical Candor, is that um, th those two important areas of being able to challenge directly and also being able to care personally. And I'm wondering if we can explore both of those and also what happens when only one of them show up. And uh, by the way, I love this book. I'm going to be recommending it to a lot of folks. Um, uh, thank you so much. I really loved writing it. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, that's fine. I, I can tell. I can tell. And it really, um, I love the book, not only because of the model, but I love all the stories and the examples. And, and so many of your stories are about companies and even names of leaders that a lot of us would know and recognize, especially folks in the tech space, of course, where you've been. And so uh, let's dive into the model a bit and look at these two different dichotomies, um, because we really do need both, don't we? Yes, absolutely. And I think the way you started the show, Dave, was really smart, because, because what is it that would move us down on the care personally dimension of, of the radical candor framework? I mean, nobody starts their career thinking, I don't care at all about people, so I think I'm going to be a great leader, right? That's not how it works. And I think you really hit upon what hurts us on this dimension is we think we're supposed to, and this usually happens to us when we're 18, 19, 20, around the time we get our first job. We're right at that moment in our lives when our egos are still quite fragile, but our personas, sort of the face that we face the world with, are beginning to solidify. And right at that moment, we get told, be professional. And for an awful lot of people, that starts to mean Leave your emotions, leave your humanity, leave everything that's best about you at home and come to work as something less than fully human. And that's a disaster for caring personally. In order to care personally about others, we need our whole, we need all, uh, our whole person. So I think it's really important to bring your whole self to work 
to be more than just professional. I'm not saying be unprofessional, but but bring your whole self to work. So that's sort of what I mean by care personally. And then it's also worth thinking about what trips us up on the challenge directly dimension of the radical candor framework. Dave, I bet you had a parent when you were a child who said something along the lines to you of, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. So, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Heard that many <laughs> yeah, times. Yeah, we all, we all do. And, and in fact, I've taught, in, in te- I've, I've taught and worked and led teams in, in 10 different countries. And virtually every culture, I think, on the face of the earth has some version of that saying. And so the, the problem here is that now all of a sudden, this thing that's been pounded into your head since you were 18 months old and learning to speak, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it all. Now it's your job to say it. And that's hard. It's hard to undo training that has become sort of part of the fabric of, of your instincts in human communication. So that's why radical candor is hard. And you know, training since you're 18 years old, you're told be professional. Training since you're 18 months old and you get told if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Now, all of a sudden, it's your job to be personal and to be willing to make people angry, right? Colin Powell said leadership is sometimes means being willing to, to piss people off. So, so I think that the one of the things that I did that helped me and seems to have helped a lot of other people as well is to kind of unpack what happens when we fail on one dimension or another and to realize that those failures are pretty significant. And then all of a sudden being radically candid seems like the safest option. Yeah, I think that would be that'd be great for us to look into. And and one of the other things, even before we get into that, I, I, I want to ask you about that term care personally too. Because I noticed in the book that you went to lengths to really emphasize that both of those words, the care and the personally, are critical. Why are both critical? The reason why both are critical is that at the very core of your ability to be successful as a leader, as a manager, is a set of relationships with each of the people who work directly for you. And these are very human relationships. This is not merely professional. The emotional labor involved in those relationships can be quite intense. And you've got to care about each of your direct reports, not just as an employee, not just as a professional, but as a full human being. If you're going to build the kind of relationship that is necessary in order to create a culture of feedback, in order to, to build the kind of team that helps each person take a step in the direction of their dreams, in order to, to achieve results collaboratively, because telling people what to do doesn't work. And for all of those, you're just kidding yourself if you think you can build a cohesive team and create a culture of feedback and achieve results collaboratively without really good relationships at the core. And you can't build a relationship that's not personal. Mm. So the critical nature of both of those, I like that. I And so uh, you mentioned a moment ago that it's helpful sometimes thinking about why both are essential in order to look at the absence of having some of these. And so let, let's talk about caring personally at a, at, a, at a moment when that when only that is there 
and you don't yes. have the challenge directly. And I, I worked for someone in my career who very much epitomized this, that they cared personally about each one of us, um, it, very truthfully and genuinely. But the challenge directly almost was never there. And at first glance, it seems like that would be kind of nice. <laughs> And, yeah, it, and, it, yeah. and it isn't it, bad at the it, beginning. Yeah, it is nice for about two weeks or maybe even a month. Yeah, it was. It was. But but then it starts to cause a lot of problems. So tell, tell us what you run into when you've seen leaders um, fall into that trap. And this, by the way, is by far the most common mistake that we make at work. If In all the organizations where I've worked and coached, this problem where leaders do care about their people and they're so worried about not hurting people's feelings that they're reluctant to tell them when their work isn't nearly good enough, that they're reluctant to challenge them to make good work great and great work sort of astounding. They're reluctant to push. They're reluctant to challenge directly. And this I call ruinous empathy. <laughs> and the reason why, not, and I'm not saying that empathy is a bad thing. It can be a very good thing. But the reason why I call it ruinous empathy is that if you're so concerned about somebody's short-term feelings that you are not willing to challenge them in a way that helps them grow, both personally and also professionally, then you're not doing your job as a leader. You're really failing in, in one of the most important parts of your responsibilities to the organization and also to the individuals in the organization. So when I got that email and people said they'd rather have a boss who is a total jerk, but really effective, than really nice, but ineffective, that was the, the really nice, ineffective person was the ruinously empathetic leader. And it's even worse. It's even worse for the people who work for you when you are ruinously empathetic than uh, than when you're what I call obnoxiously aggressive. I, I would agree with that. The, I've had the same experience where I've I've worked for both, and I would say the ruinous em- empathy is worse in the long run. And you know, Kim, as we when we hear stories about bad leaders and jerks and all all the language we use, a lot of times we think of that um, that archetypal story of like an obnoxious aggressive person. And yet, when I think of the people I work with and the people I coach, more I would say more like 75, maybe even higher percentage are more on the other side, where if they're erring on one side, it is they're erring more on being, if not too empathetic, just only empathetic and not challenging. <laughs> and I'm wondering if you could say something also about the other side, the obnoxious aggressiveness, when we err on that side of challenging directly a lot, but not... In, not caring personally or certainly not caring personally very much, or at least not in a parent way. Yeah, or not showing that. Maybe we do care, but we fail to show it. But sometimes you get so busy or so angry that you really don't care. <laughs> that yeah. does happen to us all at work. Yeah, I think that obnoxious aggression, this is, this is commonly called the a-hole quadrant. Uh, but there's a very specific reason why I don't call it that, because This framework should be used to guide conversations, not to judge other people or yourself. We all fall into these patterns where where we fail on one dimension or another or both. 
where we fail to show we care, we fail to challenge directly. So nobody's always ruinously empathetic. Nobody's always obnoxiously aggressive. But this is this is the kind of behavior, bullying behavior that we see at work, really just so focused on the work and the results that that we fail to take a moment to remember there's a person doing that work and to talk to that person, to reassure that person that we're there to help uh, improve things if there's a problem or that that we appreciate the the great work that they do. And it's it's easy. It's easy to get busy and fixated on on this all the stuff that needs to happen at work, and and to forget to take a moment to show that you care. One of the things that I'm 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 thinking people are probably wondering as they're thinking about this and thinking about these two dichotomies is how to get better. And I, and I know for a lot of our audience, uh, we may err more on that ruinous empathy side. And and so uh, for the person who's done a lot of that in their career, maybe has heard your story, Kim, and is thinking, oh, it's kind of sounding familiar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's, what's the starting point to begin to, if not get comfortable, at least to have the courage to start to challenge a bit more directly? I think the place to begin is, is paradoxically not by giving more feedback, but by soliciting more feedback. When you ask people to criticize you and, you and you ask them genuinely wanting to hear what they have to say, you, you do a few things. You prove that you can take it before you start dishing it out. But it also gives you the opportunity to model the way in which you hope that other people will take the criticism that you offer them. So when you begin to invite criticism from others as though it is a gift that you value, then when you give it, you don't feel bad about giving it. You can feel like you're giving someone a gift. But first, you have to show that you can receive this kind of gift. So I have four simple steps that you can take. You can start doing these things today. You don't have to wait till tomorrow uh, to start soliciting feedback. First of all, come up with a go-to question. It's awkward to ask somebody for feedback. And if you say, do you have any feedback for me? I can guarantee you, I already know the answer. Oh, no, everything's fine. Yeah, right? yeah. So, I tried so that you, a lot of times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the answer you're going to get because people hate giving feedback and they'll try to worm out of it. So first of all, come up with a go-to question. And it has to be words that you can imagine yourself saying. So one of the things that I like to, one of the questions that I like is, is there anything I could do or stop doing that would make it easier to work with me? Mm. However, a friend of mine I was talking to said, I could never say that. I'd feel ridiculous. She said, what I like to ask is, tell me why I'm smoking crack. So it doesn't matter how you ask it. It doesn't matter what. But the point is you have to ask the question in a way that feels natural to you and, and also in a way that doesn't let somebody just say, oh, no, everything's fine. That's hard, at least hard to answer. So that's step number one. Come yeah, up with so, good- so you own the language. It, 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 so the intent is the same. It's how you say it just kind of reflects your personality, but that way you feel comfortable actually engaging in it. Yeah, you got you to gotta imagine. I mean, practice asking the question in the mirror. It's surprisingly difficult to ask for feedback. So cut, figure out a way that feels comfortable for you. If the, if, if the question, is there anything I could do or stop doing that would make it easier to work with me works for you, take it. If it doesn't work for you, figure out, figure out something else. One of the ways that 
Andy Grove, the CEO of Intel, uh, used to like to ask this, is he would say, there's one more thing. And that was, everybody knew about him that that was his signal, that that was the most important thing. And he would say, the most important thing you can do for me is tell me when I'm screwing up. So however it is that's comfortable for you to ask, ask. Having asked, step number two is, is to embrace the discomfort. Again, people really don't want to give you feedback. So having asked your question, you're not going to get them to answer it by letting them off the hook. You've got to close your mouth and make the other person endure at least six seconds of silence. I only made it to three just there. (laughs) Almost nobody can endure six seconds of silence. If you can manage to keep your mouth shut for six seconds, odds are that person's going to say something. Okay, and and this is so powerful, though, because it's an easy point to miss. Yeah. But if you really actually stop, and because as uncomfortable as we all are giving feedback, most of us are more uncomfortable with silence. (laughs) Yes, so it's, it's, it's exactly, masterful. Yeah, and no fair saying one, two, three, four, five, six. It's like one, one thousand, two, one thousand. You really have to count to six seconds. Yeah. But you'll probably hear something. If you don't, tell the person that, you know, some people just can't bear to be put on the spot. Tell the person you're going to schedule another meeting in a couple of days and you really want them to come. So you've got to embrace the discomfort. You've got to let the person know you're not letting them off the hook. So having gotten them to say something, you come to step number three. You've got to listen with the intent to understand, not to respond. It's the most normal thing in the world to feel defensive when you get criticized, especially if you're getting criticized by one of your employees. But it's, if, you, if you get defensive, that is the last time you'll ever get feedback. So you've got to master that instinct. Don't feel bad about it, but master it. You've got, you've got to just listen. If no matter how vehemently you disagree with what was just said, repeat it back. So what I hear you saying is that you hate this radical candor framework and you think it's all total nonsense or whatever. Right. And and then the next thing that you need to do, having tried to understand what the person said, is you got to reward the candor. Now, if you agree with the feedback, rewarding the candor is pretty straightforward. Fix the problem and tell the person you fixed the problem. Like, don't be, this is not a a time to be quiet and shy and not point it out. This is a time to, you told me that you hate that. For example, I didn't used to call ruinous empathy, ruinous empathy. I used to call it cruel empathy. And my husband hated that term, <laughs> mm. and I and I changed it right. So I agree. I didn't agree at first with the feedback, but having thought a lot about it, uh, I I did come to agree with him, and I changed the term. So tell the person that you changed the term. Give them credit for changing your mind and improving your work. It's a little bit harder to reward the candor when you disagree with the feedback, and you will sometimes. I think the thing to do when you disagree with the feedback is to find some element that you can agree with. There's usually, you usually don't 100% disagree with 100% of what somebody said. There's some little thing you can agree with. And then say, but I'm not sure, I'm not sure I agree with some of your other points. May I think about it and get back to you? And then you must get back. Don't let it drop. 
And sometimes the only reward, the only way to reward the candor is with a fuller explanation of your point of view, but a respectful one, not a defensive one. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. It does. So it's it's really about it's about listening and and it and it's okay to ask some questions in the moment as long as the questions are for understanding not to be defensive or to change their mind or anything yeah. like that because to your point the minute you start doing that then the next time you ask people are not going to say anything or they're just yeah. going to say something that's inconsequential exactly don't criticize the criticism this is not your moment to say your criticism is obnoxiously aggressive yeah. <laughs> this is this is your opportunity to take what you can learn from the criticism. So that's soliciting feedback. Now that you have solicited feedback and you understand where the other person is coming from and you have modeled how to receive good feedback or or critical feedback, now it's it's safe to start to give some feedback. And remember, feedback in the book I call it guidance because I don't like the word feedback, but anyway, most people call it feedback. So whatever you call it, feedback, guidance is two things. It's both praise and criticism. So start by focusing on the good stuff. There's usually, there's almost always something somebody you're working with is doing that you appreciate that makes life better. So start by focusing on the positive. And remember, the purpose of praise is not to care personally. I mean, it's not not to care personally, but praise like criticism should both show that you care personally and challenge directly. So the purpose of praise is to let people know what to do more of, to show them that you care about them, but also to challenge them to do more of that thing that's good. And and having focused on the good stuff, now it's safe to criticize, right? To, to bring up that that piece of critical feedback but to bring it up in a way that is meant as as to help somebody fix a problem or to help somebody fix your misperception. Because you may be wrong about your feedback. It's okay. Uh, in fact, it's good to go into a, co- a conversation where you're going to give somebody some critical feedback with the realization that you may be wrong. It's okay. You're just saying, this is why I call it candor and not truth. Here's what I see, and what do you see? Does mm. that make sense? It does. And one of the things that I really thought was brilliant in the book, uh, of so many things, but you talk in the book as much about praise as you do about criticism. And so one of the things that I found really interesting was the point you made about how you should spend as much time researching giving someone praise as you do when you're preparing to give someone criticism. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah, it's so important. This was, this was something that I learned from, from a, a woman at Apple named Karen Suprell. She's, she's, she would ask class when we were teaching managing at Apple, she would ask the class, how much time do you spend making sure you have your facts right when you go in to criticize somebody's work? And, you know, fair amount of time. How much time do you spend making sure you have the facts right when you go in planning to praise somebody's work? And people didn't spend any time preparing to praise. But the fact of the matter is that you can get praise badly wrong. And you can praise the wrong person. You can praise the wrong work. If, if there, there was a sad story from somebody who had worked on this piece of brilliant analysis and at the end 
the the CEO that this person was presenting to just commented on the font, and it crushed the person uh, because it was like all the all the CEO had seen was that it the slides were pretty, not that the analysis was brilliant. So you want to make sure that you're you're taking a minute to to praise the right thing, praise the thing that matters. Otherwise, it's it's easy for your praise to come off as as patronizing. I think for the same reason, you you wouldn't go to somebody and say the problem here is that you're a moron. It's that, it doesn't really mean that much to somebody to say you're a genius because it that doesn't really tell them what to do more of next time, how to improve. Yeah, and I I can't and forgive me, I don't remember if it was you or someone else in the book that the story you told of the person that um, a senior executive had given them feedback. And meant it very, meant it well to, about something they had done, and it turned out that that person didn't do the work at all. And yes. so, not not only did I, I thought the funny thing was here's this praise that was given. Not only did it not land well, but it actually made that person's life miserable because the rest of the team all of a sudden thought that that person had positioned yeah. themselves to have done the work, and it didn't happen at all. And it just created this huge mess for them. Yeah, it was it was the the night before a launch and. The CEO of the company had been walking around talking to people and stopped one engineer and asked that engineer about a particular feature. And the engineer explained a lot about the feature and why it was hard to build and but why it was important for users. And and the next day when the CEO was celebrating this launch, he caught this engineer's eye in the back of the room. And he said, oh, and as Anatoly knows, because Anatoly did this great thing, and now Anatoly feels like he's claimed credit for work he hadn't done. So so the CEO was just trying to throw Anatoly a bone, and instead he threw Anatoly under the bus. <laughs> and, and praise can sometimes do that. So you want to make sure that you're taking a minute to to make sure you are praising the right people for the right things and that you mean it. I think one of the bit one of the one of the most common reasons why praise goes wrong is that people get told they're supposed to say, you know, manage by the numbers. You're supposed to say three nice things for every critical feedback, every piece of critical feedback that you offer. And the problem is that people then just grasp at any random nice thing. <laughs> they can think of that they they don't really mean. So, you know, great haircut, but your work is terrible, but I love your socks. I mean, people don't care, but it just comes off sounding sounding bad or, or even worse. There was an executive at a place I worked who his HR person kept saying, you've got to give people more praise. You've got to give people more praise. And so he came up with a cheat sheet right before bonus time of a list of people who had gotten a bonus and what they had worked on. And when people walked into the room and uh, he would sort of look at his cheat sheet and then look up and say, hey, uh, Bob, uh, great work on the XYZ project. Here's your bonus. And people reported feeling worse coming out of that meeting in which they had been handed a big check, by the way, yeah. than, than going into it. It's pretty hard to pay people a lot of money and make them feel worse about themselves as a result of it. But this this manager pulled it off. That's a problem with insincerity. Yeah, boy, it, it, it really does. Uh, it really does. Uh, 
crowd out everything else that the organization's trying to do and even the financial pieces. And it, so speaking of bosses, it, it wouldn't be fair to have a conversation about radical candor without talking about the other direction too and of what a lot of times is called managing up. And one of the things yes. that I was also really pleased that you did in the book is you really make the point that you should also embrace radical candor in um, in giving feedback and giving guidance upwards too. And um, and you yes. have, I think you have a really good practical way to approach that too. And I was wondering if you could say something about that as well. Yeah. I mean, when you, again, remember these are relationships and human relationships don't actually respect hierarchy. And so the the rules are fundamentally the same. The rules of engagement start by soliciting feedback then focus on the good stuff, focus on praise, then focus on giving criticism. And, uh, you know, I think you're entitled maybe to proceed with a little bit more caution if it's your boss than if it's your employee, because you could get fired. I did once uh, give a radical candor talk and somebody tweeted at me afterwards Tried radical candor on my boss, got fired. And I said, ah, I feel terrible. Tell me how how I can help. And then this this guy said, ah, actually, I already got another job. I'm fine. I'm better off. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. So, so, but it it, it did sort of give me, uh, I was getting on a plane. I remember thinking, oh, no, I'm going to land. And there was no Wi-Fi on the plane. But anyway, luckily, all's well that ends well. But the point is that you know, it is your, I would say it's your moral obligation to be radically candid with your employees. You're entitled to tread with a little more caution with your boss. But I would argue if you can't offer your boss radical candor, if you can't be radically candid with your boss, having tried the steps that I lay out in the book, I recommend looking for a new boss if you possibly can. Because it is, if you can't tell your boss what you really think, then your work is going to suffer and your psyche is going to suffer. It's going to make you mad. And and life is too short. Yeah. And I, I love the advice you have of, you know, if you're not sure, and a lot of us aren't sure if we haven't done it before, is, you know, kind of try just do something that's a low low risk, you know, test with something that's maybe not a yeah. big deal and just kind of see what happens. And then that, you know, if things, if that gets responded to well, then that gives you a little bit more confidence to move forward into the things that are a little more critical. Exactly. Mm. I know you're a big believer in leaders continuing to learn and grow from failure. And you talked about the situation with Bob earlier. And I like to have conversations about failure on our show because I think our entire listening community can learn from it. Just to remind us all that none of us have this all figured out completely. What's the biggest failure in leadership you've had? I would say a mistake that I've made, unfortunately, more than I like to try to make mistakes only once, but more than once is at the very core of your ability to be radically candid is to remain centered yourself. And for me, I need to get enough sleep, I need to get enough exercise, and I need to have breakfast and dinner with my husband and kids most days. And if I don't do those things, I just, I cannot be an effective leader. If I can't get enough sleep, if I, if I, fail to take care of myself and get enough exercise, I I descend very quickly into obnoxious aggression. And it's so important to remember that to to stay centered because it all starts starts with that. Kim, I really uh, love this book. I'm going to be recommending it to a lot of folks because as like you, I get a lot of questions about, well, how do I give feedback? What's the best way to manage up? 
And this framework is one that's just so simple and so powerful. So I hope folks will, of course, go check out the book. And I know that you have a couple of other resources that are available as well online. And also, you mentioned, uh, I can't remember if you mentioned earlier the app, but uh, I'd love to hear more about that too and what you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for asking. So I think the, the book is a great way to really understand the philosophy. But understanding a philosophy is very different than putting it into practice. So we've done a couple of things to help people put the ideas into practice. One is the Candor Coach app. Right now, it's an iPhone app. We're also, of course, working on an Android app. But we're really helping people take little daily steps. These are two-minute tasks every day that will help you move in the direction of radical candor at, at work. And so we're, we're, we work with you, we give you a little bit of advice on soliciting feedback, and then we suggest somebody you might want to solicit some feedback from, and then we talk about giving praise, give you some tips, teach you some stuff, and then suggest you put it into practice, help you track it over time. So that's the, that's the Candor Coach. And we also have a podcast, Radical Candor, available wherever you download your podcasts. And, and we cover topics that people write into us all the time about sort of specific management dilemmas, specific things they want to think about. And so we cover those topics in the podcast. Your book first came onto my radar screen from several of our Academy members, Kim, who had uh, picked up your book, loved it, and recommended it. And uh, there's so much here, so much practical advice, but also lots of great stories that I think, uh, like you've heard today, will really help you to navigate this well and ensure that you're the kind of leader that uh, both is able to challenge directly and at the same time do what we're all working to do, which is to care personally. Kim, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. I'm really grateful for it. Thank you, Dave. Really enjoyed the conversation. I am really looking forward to the Coaching for Leaders listener meetup that is going to be held later this month, Thursday, June 29th in San Francisco. I'm going to be there for the evening and... I am really looking forward to meeting so many of you. We've had a bunch of people already RSVP. There are still spots available if you are in the San Francisco Bay Area or if you just happen to be in the area that evening. Again, Thursday, June 29th, I'd love to meet you. Just go to coachingforleaders.com slash San Francisco, all one word. It'll get you all the information you need to know. You can reserve your free spot. There is, however, limited seating. So if you are interested or if you've been thinking about it, go on there get your spot. Can't wait to meet you in person. It is going to be a ton of fun. We're going to have a special guest too. So I'm really looking forward to uh, getting to meet you in person and getting to interact uh, with more folks in the Coaching for Leaders listening community. More uh, meetups coming up in other places in the not too distant future too. So uh, so if you're not in the San Francisco area, hang tight. More coming in the, uh, in the not too distant future. And in the meantime, whether you're close to a meetup or not, I hope that you will get connected with the Coaching for Leaders community by activating your free Coaching for Leaders membership. It is the best way to begin accessing all of the resources that are available on the website, including the entire podcast archive searchable by topic, my weekly leadership guides, the online course, the library. There's a ton more there that you get access to. And in addition, you'll get access to my free 10-day audio course, That is titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. And if you'll give me 10 minutes a day, 
for 10 days. I'll help you to get the most immediate practical actions to become a better leader. I've heard lots of good comments about the course for those of you who have taken it in over the last six months, uh, which is closing in on uh, now three or 4,000 people. Thank you so much if you've done that. Just go over to coachingforleaders.com. You can activate your free membership there and get access to all of that, plus a ton more. And when you're on the website, check out several of the other episodes that are in the Coaching for Leaders library that are directly related to today's conversation. One of them you're going to want to check out is episode 223, Start With Why, featuring Simon Sinek. Uh, Simon Sinek was on the show. We talked about the importance of getting real in organizations, of starting with why. And while we didn't use the words radical candor, you hear a lot of candor in when, when what uh, Simon has to say about leadership and work in organizations and the future of what organizations can do. If you haven't heard Simon talk before, go over to episode 223, check that out. Also, episode 290, how to manage abrasive leaders. Sharon Bar-David joined me uh, and returned to the show to tackle the very difficult challenge of if you are managing someone yourself who is abrasive to the people that they are leading, how do you handle that situation? And we talked about some of the things you can do tactically that match up very well with today's conversation. If you find yourself in that situation, I don't envy the space you're in, but definitely listen to episode 290 because it will give you a lot of framework and I think also the inspiration to take action that uh, came out of today's conversation too. And then finally, episode 301, last week's episode, how to get the IT ideal team player with Patrick Lincioni. Uh, if you missed last week, go back and listen because we talked about the importance of having candor in the conversation right up front, even before someone comes to work for the organization and hiring and recruiting. Patrick Lencioni talked about the three virtues. Uh, if you didn't hear that conversation, go check it out. Uh, it is uh, an important addition, I think, to your leadership perspective. You can access all of those episodes by going to coachingforleaders.com slash the episode number. And for those of you who have your free membership set up, of course, you can just go to coachingforleaders.com Join, uh, join in there, get click on your dashboard, and you can search everything by topic. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Pete Mikaitis to the show. He's going to be joining me to discuss how to inspire real ownership from others. He's the host of the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. It's a really popular show, so join me next week for my chat with Pete. Thank you so much to Skillshaw in Australia for the kind review you left on iTunes. Uh, thank you for the kind words about episode 300. Hope you enjoyed that a ton. If you've been listening to the show for a bit and it's been helpful to you, take a moment to leave a rating or review for the show. You can go to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes. Have a fabulous week. See you next week for my conversation with Pete Mikaitis. Take care.